Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to week 221 and video episode number 47. Good numbers of music is not a genre. Each week I take a release from my collection or several. I discuss it. I give you my take on it. I throw in some interesting information and tidbits and stuff that has nothing to do with it, maybe. And I connect the music to my music and to other music in the world and to other things in the world. If you like this podcast, if you love my other podcast, Music is Everything, or any of the recorded or live music on this channel, please take a moment to subscribe. The link is this way. And uh, it would mean a lot to me. And ding the bell, too, so that you get notifications of when I post new videos, which is every week. You will also see up there, a little higher on the right in the banner, Manag on Patreon, which is my channel my page on patreon you get all of this that's on youtube plus special edition podcasts and things that only patreon patrons get such as my upcoming new interview series in which i'll be talking to people in and out of the music world about music and other things uh only people on patreon are going to get to see that so take a moment to do that too uh any amount per month is wonderful it's absolutely wonderful and or if you know someone who would be interested in my patreon page or the youtube channel here because they're as much uh music obsessive as i am please share this stuff with them too mean a lot to me this is the season of sharing here uh as i am recording this on december 9th 2020 and i say that because I have chosen these five LPs, albums, 12 inches, uh, for several reasons. And one is that date. There, it's coming up to the end of the year. And because this is number 47 here, I'm hoping that somewhere around the 50 podcast mark, I will be done all of my vinyl. People call it vinyl. All of my vinyl collection. Uh, which is exciting to me. You know how you get towards the end of the book and the last 50 pages go faster than the first 50. It's just, that's the way it is. I really, really want to get to the end of my vinyl collection. I've, I've been through my entire cassette collection, my entire collection of 45s, 78s, look that up. And now this vinyl, and it's getting so, so, so close to the end that I want to wrap it up. And I thought, hey, you know, here's five. I can figure out a reason why they, they you know, belong together. So, and, then, and it knocks five out in one week so that I can get to my CD collection, of which I have hundreds and hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. So this is never ending, you know. Uh, and don't, don't, don't go anywhere because this is not ending anytime soon. The, the second reason I chose these five are because they all kind of come from the same era. They, they span... Uh, a few years in the kind of mid to late 80s, they kind of scrape 1990 here. 
and uh, that seemed like something that might work. But really, truly, the main reason I... Uh, well, actually, there, is, there are four reasons. I, I just remember the reason I forgot before. That third reason is, is, is because there are certain releases in my collection, like I think in anyone, any, any, anyone's collection, that don't necessarily warrant a giant discussion. They maybe didn't influence me as much. I don't know as much about the artist. They don't, don't have the significance that other releases have. And I respect, and you know, these are all great artists, but that, that I think that is the case for these five. So that kind of made sense to, you know, find that all-important reason to put them together, which is the topic of this week's podcast. And it has to do with the types of music that these are. And the title here is There's No Such Thing as World Music Except for Everything. And... You know, what I mean by that, it, it, you know that the whole point of this entire channel and all of this stuff, and music is not a genre, is that a genre label, it, it does not define what music is. It's a shorthand for people to kind of get a sense of what they might expect, but that doesn't mean that it even comes close to, to, to what, you know, someone else's description of that, of that genre, of that type of music. And so in the end, genres, they, they fail us because there's too much music that falls outside the lines to be classified in, you know, specifically in one genre or another. There, there are certainly songs that can be, but the majority can't be. And in this case, as with the title, there was a genre name invented by the music industry in, I believe, the late 80s uh, called world music. Now, did music from other parts of the world exist before then? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, but they saw an opening to sell more material because people were getting more and more interested in cross-cultural types of music and all of that and, and thought, hey, let's give it a name that seems palatable and I guess more all-encompassing and put it on this music. Well, what is this music? This music to them was anything that wasn't straight up American, Canadian, you know, um, British music, rock and roll, blues, jazz, you know, things that originated in those countries basically. So anything outside of that is just lumped in as world music. In fact, frankly, some of, some of the things inside of those countries is actually, you know, considered world music by the music industry. But to me, uh, as you see in the text below, calling something world music is like calling people earth humans. You know, there are no other humans except those that are on earth or orbiting earth, right? that we know of in the entire universe, okay? World music is music that is of this world, which, as I say in the title, is everything. That includes, I don't know, Foo Fighters. It, it, it includes Missy Elliott, you know? That, that's why genres can be deceptive and misleading. And in this case, not only deceptive and misleading, um, you know, none other than David Byrne, who uh, has dabbled in a, music from a lot of cultures, uh, is quoted as saying, I hate world music. And what he meant by that was not the music itself, but he hates the title. He hates the idea that music that doesn't sit in our comfort zone, that comes from where we come from, has to be kind of marginalized and ghettoized into something that is other, that is foreign, that is 
exotic, another word that I, that I think is, uh, you know, overused and used in a way to, you know, segregate uh, not just music, but people and, and other cultural things. Uh, this is absolutely the case with a term like world music. And what happens with it is that, hey, you know, when you poke it, when you dig deeper and you really flesh it out, you find that you can't, that how could you possibly define what world music is when you could have music, let's say from India, for example, that is top number one on the charts in India and maybe other countries in the region. To them, that's not world music. That's pop music, right? To someone in that part of the you know world or another part of the world, you know, the top of our charts might be considered quote unquote world music. So the point is, when you equalize everything, you see that there's you know the the more you pick it apart, you can't really make a distinction, uh, and and not just because of that, but also because there you know the cultures have intermixed so much you know in the modern age and even before them but especially now that music that is considered you know to be in this category is very 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 often these days a hybrid form of music from the western world hello us you know uh predominantly white people and uh music from other parts of the world and and that's a wonderful thing. I think any kind of musical hybrid is an amazing thing um, because it just shows the vibrancy and the connectedness of you know music in general and how, more than that, how people who are interested in music, making it, listening to it, producing it, um, want, you know, want those kind of connections to exist, want those kind of hybrids to exist because in some ways we are all hybrid humans. You know, we all have you know, things that fall outside the lines of who we are supposed to be or what we're brought up as or what our, you know, what our uh, you know, uh, cultural points might dictate and things like that. So, you know, I guess, I'm, uh, you know, it's just, this is relevant to the topic. It's not a tangent. All right. I heard, you know, that, that's, did you say? No, that was my inner voice. Okay. Yeah. So that's, this is relevant because the whole, the whole point of this is, why do all of these belong together more than any other five other than the reasons I gave? And, there, you know, uh, there are some reasons that I'll get into and hopefully soon. Right. But, the you know, but that really kind of goes towards the idea that, again, genres are meant to divide. They're meant to categorize in a way that not only shuts out other types of music, but shuts out other types of people. And we are both uh, victims and perpetrators in this, right? So we all bristle at times from exposure to something unfamiliar. Well, we hear kind of music or even sometimes a you know, foreign language or a way somebody speaks or, or dresses or the way something looks. And, and at first, if it's not familiar to us, it's, it might be off-putting. It might be intriguing too, but there, and there are you know, a whole bunch of, let's say, uncomfortable emotions and responses that you feel. But it's what you do next that counts, right? So do you say, oh, that's not for me, forget it, you know, I'm not even going to try. Uh, it's other. It's not related to me in any way, uh, which is not the case. There's something is always related in some way. Uh, or do you give it some effort and really dig into it and make a make an informed decision, and then say maybe ah, it's maybe not my kind, you know cup of tea. But uh, or 
you might listen to it and say, wow, I'm starting to hear things that remind me of this, remind me of that. And all of a sudden you're connected to it and it's less foreign. And that can happen with things other than music, right? Um, but that's something that's part, that's the, the way in which we're participants in this. We kind of perpetrate this uh, idea that a genre or a certain type of music only belongs to certain people or in a certain category. But we are also victims in that the powers that be, which in this case, music, is the music industry and the tastemakers have felt for decades since the birth of the industry that it's important to classify music so strictly that it purposely leaves out other people, that it purposely leaves out other types of music that might be tangential but less comfortable familiarly fitting into that category. And it's been, a, you know, kind of an open secret that most genre names the big genre names were invented by the music industry. Not all, not all. Some musicians did, have invented quite a few names for music and especially sub and sub-sub genres and things beyond that. Absolutely. But in many cases, especially if you see a category in a music awards show or magazine or a record store, an online store, chances are that was probably invented by someone who was just trying to make money off that music and oddly at the exclusion of, of others, at, the, at people who actually might be interested in that music, but they felt wouldn't be. So they needed to target market that crap, which is ridiculous. And I'm saying all this, and it connects to the, the material I'm actually getting to soon, because I went through it, like many of us have gone through it. There are still times where I'll hear something and say, whoa, you know, less and less so because you, you, the more you hear, the more familiar, even unfamiliar things are. But, you know, back in the 1980s when, when all this came out and, and 1990 for this one, uh, a lot of music from other cultures was starting to kind of infiltrate the pop charts. And it's not that it didn't exist before. It's that, yes, you heard you know, you know, music from Latin cultures or reggae or things like that in other decades, in the 60s and the 70s. And bef even before then, you heard African, you know, uh, influenced music in even the 1930s, you know, before the industry existed. In fact, there were uh, forms of music that were so popular in this country that to today you'd be like, I can't even believe that that many people like that music. And, it, and it's not because it didn't fall out of popularity because people stopped listening to it, but it's because when the industry took hold, they felt that that wasn't music that would sell to a wider audience. So they really kind of did dictate the flow of what became popular for a long, long time. A lot less so now because of the internet and the you know podcasts I have on Patreon where I talk about the equalization of things and how the internet has done that, and and that and that goes you know triply and quadruply for things like so-called world music. Um, but where was I? So when I listened to music like this back then, there were times where I'd be like, whoa, that doesn't sound like, I don't know, pick an artist, Prince or Bruce Springsteen or, or uh, In Excess or U2 or what have you. Uh, and, you know, might have liked it or been interested in it, might have known a little about it from other music that I had heard and might not have known anything about it. But I know there was a part of me that thought, oh, that's, you know, foreign music or foreign influenced music. And on a one level, yes, that's the case. But on a, on a greater level, there's, you know, no difference between 
music that comes from let's say Cuban influenced music, which is, you know, one of the artists here or the, you know, island influenced music, like such as reggae, then uh, music that comes from, you know, blues or country or things that originated in this, in this country. Uh, and it takes growing and a willingness to grow to get past that. And artists like this helped and, you know, um, I'm going to get to where that led soon, but let me get to this first, which is there are four artists here, five releases in chronological order. You have all the way over there, UB40 with their album Labor of Love, which was an album of cover tunes, the entire thing. And it was the album that catapulted them to stardom with songs like Red Red Wine and... Um, I can't help falling in love with you. All you know, made popular by other artists, Neil Diamond, Elvis. Um, they started in 1978, British band, at a time when uh, reggae and ska were huge in the underground in that country, and would soon become bigger in the overground. And UB40 had a hand in making reggae uh, bigger. You know. Were they the biggest reggae artists? No. You know, you, you're talking Bob Marley or Toots and the Maytals and people like that. Mm -mm. But their ability to capture and popularize music like this out of a love for it, you know, not out of a sense of wanting to co-op, that this was a genuine, and when you listen to the music and you know the makeup of the band, you realize that it comes from a genuine place, helped to popularize it in a way that uh, it wasn't before. Um... And that's them. The next one. So Miami Sound Machine started in 1975. A lot of 70s connections here. Uh, as the Miami Latin Boys by Emilio Estefan, uh, Cuban-born American. And, you know, eventually Gloria uh, Fajardo, I believe her, her original name was, uh, they met, she, she heard about the band, she wanted to join it, she became part of the band. Of course, they are now, had and, ha and have been, they're married and have been for many, many decades. And that's why she, her name is now Gloria Stefan. But at the time of this first release, one of their, um, you know, first big hits, which was, again, 10 years after the band started, uh, Conga, the band was just called Miami Sound Machine for the album that this was on. And uh, then you, you know, skip over this when I'll get to this one to the one from 1980 was a seven, I think rhythm is going to get you by then their name had changed to Gloria Stefan and Miami Sound Machine because everybody realized how popular she was and what a great singer and, you know, front person and all that stuff. Um, but as you know, or if you don't know, you should know, they, you know, they help to super popularize uh, Latin influenced music. So, you know, they're, they're an American band all the way and their music is very pop and dance oriented and has a little bit of an R&B influence as well, but all with Latin flavor, Latin percussion, Latin, there's so many, you know, elements there. Um, and again, Latin music in particular had been a lot of that before Miami Sound Machine, but they blew it up. They just blew it up in the in the eighties. Uh, another band who started in the seventies and blew up in the eighties is the band in the middle here, which I'm going to pull out because let me show you these. So you have UB40, boom, down. You have Conga, Miami Sound Machine, down. You have this one, 
See how all of a sudden she's in the front, right? Rem is going to get you. It does get you, by the way. Just, just so you know, in case you're worried. You don't have to worry. It does get you. Then you have this one. The Jets. Not super popular, except at the time they were, when they had eight top ten hits in the, late, in the mid to late 80s, uh, including this song, the 12-inch of Crush On You which I loved this song when it came out. And having been a DJ back then, it was a song that I wanted to play and kind of had to play when it was popular. came out in 1986. Uh, but they started in 1977 from Minneapolis. Uh, they were a Tongan-American band. Uh, many of them, I believe most of the, the members of the family were actually born in Tonga and, and then emigrated to Minneapolis. Uh, I hear it's nice. Prince, right? Um, and they did genuinely kind of pop dance R&B music. And just to show you what kind of development it takes and what prejudices we bring to things, just not knowing anything about them other than liking their music and knowing there was a lot of um, Latin-influenced music in the 80s, um, like Menudo, let's say, and, and of course, Miami Sound Machine. I assumed at the time that they were, you know, a, a Latin a band, a Latino, Latin, Latinx band. And I only found out in researching this that they're Tongan-American. And guess what? Also, Mormon. So this is a family, brothers and sisters, who formed a band. Mormon brothers and sisters who formed a band... Uh, if you're old enough, this might ring some bells, um, the Osmonds, and you. And if you're not old enough, you have no idea what I've been talking about for the last 15 minutes. That's why I'm here. But again, this was one of those things where it's a different way of kind of thinking cross-culturally, where it's a family that came from a completely different culture, comes over here, and for several years dominates eight top ten hits, how many bands do that, right? Um, that's that's a success story. And then finally, you have a somewhat of an outlier. It's from 1990. It's an artist named Nardo Ranks, who is from Jamaica and did a, a style of reggae called Dance Hall. Uh, and this is a song called Brrrp. And I'm just going to say it like that one more time. Brrrp. Because he does that in the song very, very often. And one of the reasons why I have this, actually maybe the only reason why I have this album, is because it was my brother's and he didn't want it. He is not a, he doesn't like to keep things. And I collect vinyl and it's not that I keep everything, but I was like, oh, there's some interest here. So let me, let me get this. But it was a song that would have been, you know, would have been played in a DJ set and everything it was a very popular song at the time. He didn't have really any other hits or many more hits that I know of uh, in America, but he's been popular in other parts of the world. And the thing is, all of these artists, they're all still out there performing the whole thing. Um, now, I, I kind of left a little bit the, the uh, you know, I don't know, an Easter egg here uh, as far as a hidden idea of where all this is going. Um, and this is kind of a good way to, you know, semi-wrap up this week. And that is that every release that I talked about here, the elements of those that, that music uh, exist 
not only exist today in the pop culture and in, in the in frankly in the top 10 top 50 of what is selling now but dominate they dominate um and you're talking about things like you know reggae which eventually became you know, not became but spun off into dance hall and dance hall spun off into what reggaeton is an offshoot of dance hall and that's everywhere Latin music, everywhere of many kinds, both you know uh, bilingual or English sung music with Latin influences. Uh, you know, their the 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 Jets with their you know kind of R and B and pop and dance is freaking everywhere. And the thing is, if you put all this together, the the you know reggae, reggaeton, the Latin and the dance and the R and B and the pop and the, you know and all of that stuff. Um, you could pretty much invent Bad Bunny, which, you know, maybe you know who that is if you're younger. And if you're older, again, look this up, um, who every single one of these artists, the type of music they did is, is it, it infuses the music that he does. And he's giant this year. So that's, that's a, that kind of shows you a couple of things. One is that our culture is so diverse and super diverse at this point that music uh, that has influences from all over the place is now as as dominant, if not more dominant in some ways than uh, than hip hop was a few years ago or, you know, electronic or or rock or, you know, and, and keep going back through the decades. And and that's, I think, an amazing development. You know, it 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 it, sh it shows that people's tastes can overcome not just uh, internal prejudices, but self, but, but, in, but prejudices imposed externally, like from the music industry and tastemakers and things like that, or the culture that says, oh, don't listen to this music or stay, you know, be careful, stay away from that. And so that to me, that's like, that's kind of like a happy ending to this entire story, right? Now, um, having grown up with all of this music, uh, I, I can't say I'm somebody who records uh, a lot of music with, let's say, open and direct cross-cultural influences. It's everywhere in there. The way I once did a podcast that all music is black music, you know, like that. We, if you've grown up in the last however many decades, unless you've been living in a cave, you know, then some whatever you're doing, creating or listening to, has somehow been influenced by not just, you know, black music and the origins of that, but, but by music from all over the world uh, in one way or another. And that is the case with uh, everything I've done. But in particular, I'm going to single out a song that is kind of sort of a hybrid example in the way it uses uh, rhythms and polyrhythms and things like that. And in certain ways, it uses harmony. Uh, I sing and, and the people who sing with me sing in many languages. And it's my band Rex's most recent single, Sing Out, which I put a link to below. Sing, O-W-W-T, Sing Out, it's everywhere. So go check that out and see what you think. See if you think you can hear those influences or not. Tell me also, do you remember any of these bands? Do you know who the Jets are? Do you know that they were uh, originally called Quasar after an old TV brand, but then renamed themselves when they heard uh, Elton John's song, Benny and the Jets? And part of the reason I thought they were a Latin X band is because 
I associated the name The Jets with West Side Story. That's how my brain works. Do you remember, if anybody, you would hopefully know Miami Sound Machine. I mean, their music was recently on Broadway. So, you know, do you know them? Do you like any of this stuff? Do you like reggae? Do you like reggaeton or dancehall? Do you like UB, you know, UB40? Do you remember all the huge hits they had? Uh, and how most of them were cover tunes, but they did, you know, when I talked last week about what was better, the cover of the original, and handed it to UB40 for Red Red Wine, because they did it well. Uh, do you like, do you like any kind of music that you would consider out of what is supposed to be your wheelhouse? Um, have there been times in your music history where you were put off by certain kinds of music and did you keep it at arm's length or did you try to, you know, indulge in it and kind of take the time to get to know it and um, see if there was something in it for you? I want to know. I want to hear from you because as always my objectives here are music, conversation and connection. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and watching and subscribing and and clicking and sharing and going to my Patreon page and talking about this and being as obsessive, obsessed about music as I am. And I will see you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.